of messages and I have to warn you that the message that I'm going to preach today was partially prepared under the influence of hot caramel apple cider <laughs> just regular cider <laughs> hot caramel apple cider so this is a fall series this is to evoke all those fall feelings that are good you know it says fall as pumpkin spice latte there I said it so now, why am I saying that? Here's, here's why. Here's what I believe. It, it, this is the way I'm wired, and I don't know if you're this way at all. In the turning of the seasons, I find myself, my heart tugged Godward. It just is that way, in all of them, but maybe especially in the fall. So I want to take advantage of that. And I think, wouldn't it be wonderful if we would all, like, turn our hearts toward God in the fall of the year, when he's done, you know, there's such a pageantry of color, and the, and the, and the, and the nights get cool, and, and we, it just makes us thoughtful about our Creator. It would be a great time for us to especially take eight weeks to know God by heart. Yesterday, I got to speak over at uh, an Awana event over there in, in Albion. I always get Albion and Adrian confused. One time I had a meeting in Adrian, and I went to Albion <laughs> to Starbucks, but there was no Starbucks there, and so that didn't work out very well, but it was Albion. I went there yesterday, and... Um, and as I was driving, uh, d deer passed in front of my car, which is nice if you don't hit them. Uh, at one point in Albion, I drove across the campus, which is very beautiful, and there were flowers there, and there was a little park, I think it's called Victory Park, and just as I got to the park, seven deer, you know, passed in front of me. And it was a beautiful, cool fall morning, and then I parked my car in the church parking lot to collect my thoughts, and then a bunch of geese flew in a big pattern, and right in front of me and landed and then after I got done speaking I went back to my car and I was looking at that field and there were like a million butterflies in that field maybe a hundred thousand butterflies in the field and I thought that's amazing I've never seen that many butterflies in one place and it occurred to me Hope that a few weeks ago there were a hundred thousand ugly worms in that field <laughs> one time we were one time we were going we we're out about by your house and we were going to get ice cream and the girls in the car started screaming at me. And I was like, Lewis actually got out of the car while it was moving. I'm not joking. Because I had a caterpillar on my collar. <laughs> Little did they know that that would eventually become a beautiful butterfly, right? So that's the way my brain works in the fall. I, these uh, autumnal things, 
this turning of the seasons. It, it tugs my heart Godward. It, it makes me think godly thoughts. I'm not the first person ever who had these thoughts. The Psalms are full of this. Great writers and speakers and, and artists and musicians have all noticed it. C.S. Lewis wrote this. You may have heard this. Any patch of sunlight in a wood will show you something about the sun which you could not get from reading books on astronomy. These pure and spontaneous pleasures are patches of Godlight in the woods of our experience. How beautiful is that? Patches of Godlight in the woods of our experience. So we want to know God by heart. We want to do this in the fall. We want to especially attend to this in, in the months of September and, and October and, 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 and allow God to tug our hearts Godward and to learn about him. And to do that, we're, we're just thinking of the attributes of God and often when the attributes of God are expressed in the Bible, they're expressed in how they affect people, almost always. Some of the most beautiful passages in the Bible that express what God is like are talking about what God is like to us, which you're going to see that. We saw that last week in Psalm 139, and the key passage this week as well, there'll be many passages, but the key one is Psalm 139. And in that, it's talking about who is God and how he relates to us, knowing God or his attributes by heart. Now, the 15th century English reformers commonly used a phrase, a Latin phrase, that was that's called uh, uh, Coram Deo. And the, and the phrase meant that they lived in the, before the eyes of God or, or before God or with a sense of the presence of God. It's a good idea to keep in our hearts and this is what we're going to talk about today because today we're talking about the, the, the attribute of God is that he is omnipresent, that he's always present, and what that has to do with you and what that has to do with me. We want, like the 15th century English reformers, to live quorum Deo, in the presence of God, with an awareness of the presence of God. And the way this message is going to be arranged today, unless I change my mind, is that we're going to give you seven reasons why it's good for you to cultivate an awareness of the continual presence of God. What happens in a person's life when they continually cultivate a sense, awareness, that God is present in everything? That's what we're going to talk about today. And what's interesting is that when you look at the attributes of God, theologians have said some of the attributes of God are what are called communicable attributes of God. In other words, they are at least in part shared with people through the process that the Bible describes. And then there are incommunicable attributes of God. In other words, things that God is like that you and I are never going to be like. Like, for instance, God is immutable. He never changes, but we do change. Uh, and yet God is love, and we can be loving. And so communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. One of the things that we think about when we think about God is we think that God is, is other or away or far away or transcendent. He's beyond us. He's above us. He's bigger than us. And, and yet another quality of God is that he's imminent or near. And when we, so we understand the full picture of God. We, for instance, if a person just sees that God is all-seeing, and they try, to, they try to describe what God is like and that he's all-seeing, then they might draw a picture of one big eye, but God is more than just all-seeing. And so to say, in other words, to take one quality of God and to divorce it from all the other qualities of God gives us a caricature of God which is not worthy of him. But to take all of them together 
all the various qualities of God and attributes of God, communicable, incommunicable, attributes of God, all of them, and to consider them, you know, together gives us a full, beautiful picture of who God is, and it has a powerful effect on us, and that's kind of the point. To know God by heart is to know these qualities of God and why they matter to us. And one of the qualities that God has is he's omnipresent. And what's interesting about that is that why do people then pray, God, please be with us? Why do we do that? Why do we say be with us? If he's omnipresent, you would think maybe we don't need to ask him to be with us because he's with us. And yet commonly, as a matter of fact, you actually can find prayers in the scripture that plead for God to be with us. And here's why. There's a sense in which there is the general presence of God, and that is that God is omnipresent, present always, everywhere, at all times. There's a sense in which God's presence is cultivated. And there's a presence, in, there's a sense in which God's presence is manifested. Well, let me explain those three things to you briefly, and we'll get into these seven. But let me take as an example that the general presence of God is expressed in, in Acts 17, uh, 24, in a beautiful way. Listen to this. Paul speaking uh, to the Areopagus, at the Areopagus. The God, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. This he would have said, gesturing toward temples made by men. He said, nor is he served by human hands, though as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, being determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. So you see what I'm saying? God is omnipresent. He says people might seek God even though in him we live and move and have our being. So there's a general sense in which God is present always everywhere. And we'll show you that repeatedly in the Bible today. There's another sense in which we cultivate the presence of God. Like that's why James said draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, James didn't mean God wasn't omnipresent, now he's going to be omnipresent. What James meant was that if you cultivate a sense of the presence of God, then you have the, what we would what we use the term, the cultivated presence of God. And then there's the manifest presence of God when God chooses to show himself in a powerful way. And this happens in the Bible. You know, Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, and he was moved by that. The, the, the account is in Isaiah 6, and there are passages of Scripture that talk about God manifesting his presence or deciding to show his presence. So there's a sense in which God is always present. There's a sense in which we cultivate the presence of God or an awareness of the presence of God. And there's a sense in which God manifests his presence by his own sovereign will. And these are things to keep in mind when we think about this. What I'm driving at today is this. Like, this week would be a good week for you if every little fall thing reminds you God is present. Cultivate an awareness of the continual presence of God, and it will do a lot of good things for you. Let me give you seven. Number one, it will change the way that we understand our relationship with God. To cultivate an awareness of the presence of the Lord will change the way 
we understand our relationship with God. Last week, I had you turn to Psalm 139, and then and we talked about the, the knowledge of God. Today, I would have you turn back to Psalm 139 and show you the presence of God and the beautiful poetic way in which it's expressed. Psalm 139, verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in, in Sheol or in the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. It's a beautiful and poetic expression, not only of God's omnipresence, but his presence to us, his presence with us. To understand this, to think about it, you know, to cultivate in our hearts and our minds, to thoughtfully, mindfully think, God isn't just present when I'm in church, but he's continually present in my life, changes the way we understand our relationship with God. This is true all through the Bible. Adam and Eve are put in the garden. They're aware of the presence of God. They walk with a pre-incarnate Christ, I believe, in the garden in the, in the evening, in the, in the cool of the day. And yet when they sin, the Bible says they, they were naked, they were afraid, they hid from the presence of the Lord. They should know they couldn't hide from God, but that's what we do. Jacob, at one point, remember the story of Jacob, and Jacob deceives his brother, deceives his dad, and then he's told, you should probably go you know, to a far country for your own safety, and he flees, and he lies down, and he puts his head on a rock, and then he has a dream, and when he wakes up, he says, anybody remember this? Surely the presence of the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. How many times have you been laying just anywhere with your head on any old rock, and you didn't know that God was in it? And that he was present. That's what I'm talking about. Changes everything. We start thinking, wait a minute. There is no place I can go. Nothing I can do that will remove me from the presence of God. Sure, the presence of the Lord is in this place. But I didn't remember that. Elijah, you remember the story of Elijah and his servant. And they were surrounded by the armies. And then Elijah says to his servant, you know, to the Lord, open his eyes. And when his eyes are open, the servant's eyes are open, then he sees the, the angels, the chariots of fire. He says there are more with us than there are with them, but he has to have the spiritual enlightenment first. He has to be aware of spiritual realities, the presence of God. Actually, in this case, the presence of angels. And then you have David, and this is the passage in Psalm 139. One example of this, and that is in the, in the most beautiful and poetic way, he says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will be with me. I... I I couldn't possibly get away from you if I wanted to. And if I knew well, I wouldn't ever want to. Psalm 16 and verses 8 through 11 are worth reading, within which this phrase occurs, I have set the Lord always before me. This is what we're talking about. I have set the Lord always before me. This is what I'm talking about this fall. How do you call the, how do you know God by heart? You know about God. You know that he's omniscient. And you know that he's omnipresent. Right? Last week. You know there are things you don't know that he knows. Stick with him. And 
He's present with you. You're never really alone. This really helps a lot. It helps in our life. Richard Owen Roberts is a historian about revival. He's written some beautiful articles and books about revival. He's actually spoken in our area in, in the past. In an article about revival terminology, he says, revival is a sense of the presence of God. The best way to describe an awakening or the best way to describe a revival is just to say is a renewed awareness of the presence of God. So when we have a renewed awareness of the presence of God, that's when revival visits our hearts. If you think about it, what's the essence of discipleship? What does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple is a what? Is a a follower of Jesus, a student, right, a student of Jesus, a follower, a student of Jesus, or a follower of Jesus. And that's why when Jesus describes discipleship in the key passage that we like to use in Matthew 28, he reminds them, lo, I am with you always. I am with you. So, so you are a disciple, which means you are a follower of Jesus, which means you should be continually aware of his presence. You see, Thinking, cultivating a vivid, continual a sense of the awareness of the presence of God changes, helps it, 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 uh, your relationship with the Lord. And our souls are, are, are built for this. We long for intimacy. I spent time with my dad yesterday. I love to spend time with my dad. We did something rare and wonderful. My dad is a doer. He's always doing. Matter of fact, he's got a project on his mind for me. He's so into this project. He, we don't have a, a handrail going up to our back steps. My dad says, we can do this. We can do this handrail. He's got it all planned out. He talks about it all the time. And yesterday I thought, there's a football game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go watch a football game. I haven't done that for years. I'm just going to watch a football game. And I love the idea of just being with him and talking with him. And not doing anything. Not fixing anything. Not building anything. Just, just being and to be honest, he's awesome that way. But if you want to spend time with him, it's best to get him on a car trip or something. Because if he's not locked in the car, he's doing something. You know, he's building something, he's fixing something. He's just a great guy, just the way he is. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're, we're all wired, you know, differently like that. And I'm that guy that wants to, you know, look you in the face and talk, and let's not be distracted by, you know, fixing something. God forbid, let's not go fixing things, you know. But... Uh, God isn't up in his heaven going, who's going to fix this world? I need some help. God isn't up in his heaven going, man, things are broken. I'm a, no, God, isn't, it, God, God doesn't need any of us. This is, a, this is another aseity, is, that's what it's called. It's, an, it's another quality altogether, but he, he doesn't need us. Does he love us? Yes. Does he want us? Yes. Does he need us? Absolutely not. Not in any way, shape, or form. The God of the Bible has no needs at all these desires but he has no needs and so you don't have to impress him with what you do do you see how cultivating an awareness of the presence of god changes your relationship with god when you recognize i don't have to perform for him i can do acts of service for him he receives those acts sometimes he commands me to do things but to be with him that's kind of the idea so that's enough of that let's look at the second one <coughs> when you cultivate an awareness of the presence of the Lord, it will not only change the way, or really kind of enrich your understanding of God, but it will change how you see sin and temptation and your struggles with sin and temptation. God, you see, is the ultimate source of satisfaction, the ultimate source of lasting joy. But pleasure without God is sin, and pleasure without God 
isn't satisfying and pleasure without God is like drinking when you're thirsty drinking salt water and pleasure without God isn't lasting it's like a fish on a bank it can't live for long Psalm 16 says towards the end in his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand our pleasures forevermore you say what's that have to do with sin it has everything to do with our battle with sin and temptation because his is the higher pleasure get it whatever pleasure that you that you achieve by sinning his is a higher and more lasting and a greater pleasure and to understand that he's present helps us to avoid sin I mean even just a simple thing like a lot of the sins that you would commit you might not commit if your mother was in the room I mean some of them you might but others not you see what I'm saying and if you're aware of the presence of God John Ortberg writes and speaks well about this he said many Christians expend so much energy and worry trying not to sin and by the way some of you need to hear this many Christians expend so much energy and worry trying not to sin the goal is try to sin less in all our efforts to keep from sinning what are we focusing on sin God wants us to focus on him to be with him to abide in me just to relax and to learn to enjoy his presence every day is a collection of moments 86,400 seconds a day how many of them can you live with God start where you are grow from there God wants to be with you every moment yes you should hate sin yes you should fight against sin but no sin thinking of sin shouldn't dominate your brain thinking of him should dominate your brain that's what that's what he's saying pretty good David had a moral failure obviously he did good things and he did horrific things David often thought of the presence of God and often expressed himself beautifully about his awareness of the presence of God but there was at least one night in which David didn't really indulge in the presence of God and his fellowship with God and intimacy with God but instead he looked at his neighbor's wife and then spiraled down from there and so this is a serious business our struggle with sin is a serious business to understand uh, uh, have an awareness of a benevolent good God that's working on our behalf and loving us and desiring to bring pleasure and good and delights into our life is a key thing in overcoming the sin that you're struggling with right now and to think of him instead of just to fixate, fixate on the sin Psalm 51 David says Crete in uh, this is Psalm 51 10 through 12 in a in a penitent Psalm of David he says create in me a clean heart O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me and don't cast me away from your presence now David's not going to be cast away from the presence of God and you're not if you know the Lord but you're not going to have the sense or the awareness or the benefit of the awareness of his presence and so you what, what listen think about this what sin are you struggling with if you don't know just ask your wife she will help you with this what sin are you struggling with okay now there's a higher pleasure than that in God and when you have an awareness of who he is and what he's like and his presence you're more likely to opt for that than you are for the sin that you're gonna regret this is a powerful thing it changes when you think about the presence of God in your life it changes the way you look at sin and temptation um, Acts 319 says repent therefore be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord once you see it you can't unsee it it's everywhere in the Bible 
the presence of the Lord, the sense of the presence of the Lord. This is a great thing to talk about. This is a very helpful thing. This is going to help your week. Everything that you do. Somebody cut you off in traffic. Well, you're not alone. God is with you. You know, somebody says something, or you think about something you're going to say. Wait a minute. God is there. You know, it'll help you in your, in your sin struggles. Number three, it will change how you see your troubles. And this is wonderful. It'll change how you see your troubles. And trouble is going to come. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. You aren't alone when you pass through trouble. Isn't that great? Uh, Hebrews 13, 5. He says, you know, be content. Haven't I said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Isn't it interesting how often in the Bible, God wants us to be thinking about his presence. Be content. You got me. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the Hebrews passage there. Sometimes people will misunderstand you. Sometimes people will forsake you. Sometimes people will attack you. Sometimes people will betray you. That's going to happen to all of us. It happened to Jesus. It will happen to you. Psalm 31, 19 and 20. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plotting of men. You think about that just for a minute. If somebody misunderstands you or betrays you or disappoints you, God is present and he will never betray you or slander you or disappoint you. And this is where he wants us to go. This is what he wants us to think about. That's why it says in Psalm 91, we dwell in the secret place of the Most High. That's the presence of God, which leads us to this. When Satan and demons attack your soul and you're in a slugfest, whether you know it or not, you're in a spiritual warfare, whether you know it or not. I was out, I was out um, exercising once. I didn't mean that to, yeah. I was running, and I was running a long way, and I got tired, and I just walked to my car and didn't run anymore. But anyway, I was running, and I was listening to Tom Harmon. Um, he's a preacher in Michigan here. He's a wonderful man. And he was preaching on Psalm 91. And what he was doing was he was taking the passages of, in the Psalms that talk about our enemies, and he was applying them to the enemy of our soul. It's a very powerful thing to do. This little tidbit I'm giving you, if you don't get anything good from my message, at least you have something good from Tom Harmon today. And that is, go through the Bible and look at the passages that talk about the enemy and just translate those, the enemy of your soul. Like this one in, in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Right? The person who has intimacy with God, who's, con who's aware of the presence of God. He will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. <laughs> I will say to the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress and my God and him will I trust. Sadness, trouble, misunderstanding, demonic oppression is going to come into your life. Something bad is going to happen to you. Something bad might have happened to you this week. It's important for you then to default to the presence of the Lord. So I had to even, you know, you have in, in my life, I had a disappointment and it was a bitter one. It was a bitter disappointment and it literally brought me to tears. And so I'm literally in my car, and I'm just thinking, and I had to stop, and just, it just brought me to tears. And, and then this is what, you know, I've tried to train my soul to default to this. God, what are you teaching me? What are you saying to me? If a person says words that hurt me, and they're painful, I say to the Lord, what are you teaching me? And maybe the Lord says to me, you see how it hurts you see how painful words can be. 
You be careful now how you talk. Is there anybody out there whose your words have hurt them? I, I got a guy that lives on my road. I, I don't want to say too much, but he has an interesting way of decorating. He decorates with apocalyptic signs. Ken, you've seen this. Repent. He's the big one is repent. And so, so the coming of Jesus, which I'm excited about too. Um, he spends a lot of time on this. It's just, the signs are just everywhere. It's, it's not the way I would decorate. It's not the way I would call people to repentance. I, I think it's a little clumsy. You know, and yesterday morning, I'm driving by his house, and there it is, repent. And I'm thinking, well, I, I agree. I mean, we're, we're brothers. I, I agree, you know. And then I made up my mind. You know what? From now on, when I drive by his house, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repent every time. I said, I just, uh, from now on, I'm just going to say, well, you know, that's a good. Hey, Lord, is there anything you want me to repent from? And then, you know, there will be something, and I will repent. And then I, that way, it won't irritate me that he has a, a kind of a garish way of decorating. Uh, anyway, um, I, I just think that's the way we, maybe you never think like that. You're not weird. But, but you should always think of, okay, God, where is God in all of this? In my troubles, in my betrayals, in my temptations. And how, God is present. This is a change of life. Number four, it will change the way you see people. This is powerful. It will change the way you see people. You will not see people the same way if you think, wait a minute, if Jesus is present with me, and he is, how is Jesus responding to this person? How does Jesus feel about this person? What is Jesus' heart toward this person? What right do I have to have any different heart than what the heart that God has toward this person? God is here. How does he see people? I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 16. I've mentioned it before. You will hear me mention this again. I hope you memorize it. He says, after, Paul's talking about since he saw the cross, he never sees anything the same. He always sees everything in the light of the cross, and especially people. He says, from now on, I don't even look at people from a merely human point of view. Because of the cross, I look at people the way Jesus looks at people. That is a life changer right there. Even the people in your family that might, you know, they might hurt you, the ones in your family are more likely to hurt you than others. Like, what is Jesus seeing right now? How does he want me to look at this? I want to look at this like he wants me to look at How powerful would that be? Uh, yeah, so anyway, okay, okay so um, Paul learned to do this. My neighbor, who I, who I like, and, and I'm cultivating a friendship with him, and, and he's a very friendly neighbor, a good neighbor, ran over my mailbox this week. It's like, my wife called me, and she said, a neighbor ran over the mailbox. I'm like, how did he do that? <laughs> it's like, there's the mailbox that you just, and he, he, he did it with his lawnmower. And I was like, oh, well, I'm like, I, just, I wonder if his lawnmower's okay. You know, because there's a post, and he snapped it off. I'm like, that, I would like to have seen how that happened, you know. And my initial reaction was, shoot, I can't fix anything. How in the world am I going to fix my mailbox? You know, and, and, then, and then Lois said that, that my nice neighbor, he goes, hey, he came over and said, man, I'm sorry I, I broke your mailbox. I'll help Ken fix it. <laughs> Lois caught that. He said, he said he'll help you. Which she's like, that ain't gonna be good, you know. And so, and, the, and my initial thing was, yeah, I don't know how to fix the mailbox. He ran over with his tractor. And then I thought, I just pray every day that I have some connection with this man. And now he ran over my mailbox, which is kind of uncanny. And he says, we can work on it together, which is like, well, there you go. We're working together. I will tell you this, in the interest of, you know, the saga of my neighbor running over my mailbox, which, if you're watching this, I love you, you're a good neighbor, you're awesome. 
Yesterday I got back and it was done. Beautiful new post, new mailbox. Went out there, solid as a rock. From now on, I hope he runs over other stuff on my place. Like, fixes it. He's good. But I don't look at him from a merely point of view. I look at him as the guy that I, God put me across the road from him. And one day, like you and I, he's going to stand before God. And his precious wife is going to stand before God. That's how Jesus sees it. He isn't just like, that dude ran over my mailbox. Right? So, it's interesting. Stuart Briscoe is an Englishman, and he has a beautiful biography I was reading not too long ago. And he went to Canada in a church in England. And when he was done, this elderly lady came up to him, and she says, I want you, I like you, and I want you to be the pastor here. He says, why is that? She goes, because I can tell you're the kind of pastor that likes prostitutes. And he said, um, I'm sorry, but what, what do you mean? She goes, oh, perhaps I should explain. She said, I work with prostitutes, and I try to help them, and a lot of times I bring them to church. But some pastors, if you bring somebody that broken to church, they're just going to discourage them. But you're not like that. I can tell you like prostitutes. He goes, I like prostitutes. <laughs> Jesus was accused of liking prostitutes too. Number five, to cultivate this awareness and the presence of the Lord will also change the way we see the ordinary, the mundane, the daily. This is really awesome. Just your daily, regular, ordinary life. Psalm 118.24, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. First Thessalonians 4.11 says, you know, aspire to lead a quiet life and to work with your hands. And the Bible says, Paul wrote, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So, God is real and present in the most mundane, ordinary things that we do. And I, I had to learn this in college, and it wasn't in a class. It was at a dive of a restaurant called the Sycamore Inn at 3 o'clock in the morning, the place where people go after the, after the bar closes, they would come to the Sycamore Inn. And they came in all kinds of interesting states of being, and the place was pretty much a trash hole of a place to work. And my job was the lowest of the low, was to wash the dirty dishes all night long. And while I was washing the dirty dishes, I learned something about God, that he was present with me in the washing of the dishes. When my heart was sad and I was tired, I wouldn't be able to sleep because I had a class in the morning. And back then, there was a girl I was going out with that was really nice that I knew I needed to break up with, and that depressed me because I didn't want to hurt her feelings. I was so depressed, I just said, Jesus, would you please come back right now so that I don't have to deal with any of this stuff? It's kind of a Christian version of despairing of life, but I realized there, but I wasn't the first to learn that. It's interesting. Um, There's a man whose name was Nicholas Herman. Maybe you heard of him. Author of the best-selling book of all time behind the Bible, Nicholas Herman. And the book was a small collection of letters that he sent to a friend that was published after he died, posthumously. It was called The Practice of the Presence of God. And he was called by the others in his community. He was called Brother Lawrence. His name was Nicholas Herman. Brother Lawrence, The Practice of the Presence of God. These letters that were compiled posthumously. Let me read something from one of them. Brother Lawrence said, He does not ask much of us. 
merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him our suffering, and other times to thank him for graces, past and present, that he's bestowed upon you in the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can, to lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly because he's nearer to us than we think. We must know before... We must know him before we can love him. In order to know God, we must think often of him. And when we come to love him, we'll love him and think of him more. And our heart will be with that which we treasure. He's talking about knowing God by heart in the doing of the dishes. In the ordinary. I know you're probably like me. When I go to the mountains, I feel close to God. When I go to the ocean, I feel close to God. But the problem is, we don't live close to the mountains, and we don't cl live close to the ocean. I know some of you are like, oh, at Christmas, I feel close to God. At Easter, I feel close to God. But there are 360-some other days of the year that we need to feel close to God. And this is when it's good to realize that God can be with us in a special chair in the corner, in the cab of our pickup truck, in the deer stand, in the bed, in the bedroom, by the kitchen table, wherever we're laboring or wherever we're working, wherever we're thinking God is real and present with us. And we can have fellowship with him in that. John Bailey in the Diary of Private Prayer. This is a little book that sits by my bedside. I love it. It's a, he's an Episcopalian preacher who is good at writing and praying prayers. He wrote this prayer about the presence of the Lord, a sense of the presence of the Lord. Give me, O God, this day a strong and vivid sense that you are by my side. And in a multitude or in solitude or in business or in leisure, in my down-sitting and in my uprising, may I ever be aware of your accompanying presence by thy grace, O God, I will go nowhere this day where you cannot come. I will not allow any companionship that would rob me of your companionship. By your grace, I would let no thought enter my heart that might hinder my communion with you or let any word come from my mouth that's not meant for your ear. So shall my courage be firm and my heart be at peace. He understood it. Number six, it'll help us more deeply be aware of his holiness. Now, I want you to understand something, and it's frightening, and it should be frightening. All the Bible verses in the Bible about God aren't warm and fuzzy. Right? And they shouldn't be, because if they were, God wouldn't be just. And there is evil that has to be dealt with in this world. And we tend to look at other people and say, yes, I know people that have done me evil, and they have to be dealt with. But unfortunately, you know, I think it was... Um, the, the, the line between good and evil goes down right between right down the center of all of our hearts and so it's interesting if you take Psalm 139 and you have that beautiful lyrical poetic piece about the presence of God and you read it there's another passage and it's, it's talking about God's benevolent presence presence toward those he loved there's another passage that it, it's, it reads almost like a parallel but it's saying about those that are under God's judgment or wrath. In other words, over here it says, if, if God's going to love you, he's going to hunt you down, he's going to find you no matter where you are. And if God chooses to judge you, he's going to find you no matter where you are. In our song that, that, that we sang, one of our songs we sang today, his goodness is running after, is running after me. Uh, you, you know, you wouldn't want to be so ignorant as to think 
that that didn't come directly out of God's word. Deuteronomy 28. Half of Deuteronomy 28 says, if you will obey my commands, I will chase you down with blessing. His goodness is running after me. It's running after me. Have you had a sense of that? Many of you, I'm sure, do. God's goodness has just pursued me in my life. The Bible also says in Deuteronomy 28, but if you reject me and you rebel against me, and if you refuse my love, my judgment will be running after you. We can't just cherry-pick the attributes of God and say, isn't it, wonder God, isn't it wonderful that God is everywhere present? Yes, if it's, it's wonderful if you're under his mercy. But if you're under his wrath, that's not going to be good. But you can flee to the mercy of God. Now hear this passage now in Amos and chapter 9, in verses 2 through 4, Amos 9, 2 through 4. If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb to heaven... I will bring them down from there. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, a mountain, from there I will search them out and take them. If they hide from my sight in the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command a sword, and it will kill them, and I will fix my eyes on them for evil and not for good. You don't want to be under God's wrath. You want to be under God's mercy. And Jesus is the way to be under the mercy of God. As simple as that. To come to a point in your life where your sin burden is so heavy that you realize you deserve the judgment of God, and not just other bad people, but you. And that Jesus took that judgment upon himself when he died on the cross. And you, by simple faith, believing in Jesus, can be under God's mercy. And that's why, back to Psalm 139. Now take your Bible. Would you open it to Psalm 139 and take a look at verse 7? Because I want you to see it again, because this is what I would like for you to have ringing in your heart as you leave today. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? This is number seven. It will make us deeply aware of God's love. Where, where shall I go from your spirit? Where, sh where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in, in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. When I was uh, 18 years old, I went to Moody Bible Institute. First time away from home. Moved into 7th floor, Culbertson Hall, Moody Bible Institute, where I met with God. I woke up one morning, and standing by my bed. I remember the, for the first time, just kind of being bathed in scripture and teaching and, and that godly environment. I remember for the first time having a sense, I know that I know that I know that I'm born again. I, I remember staying up late in the night, memorizing scripture, talking about the things of the Lord with others. I remember that room was a holy place for me. A it was a holy place. I met with God there. I know I did. I had a sense of the presence of the Lord. When my roommate and I would pray at night, I had a sense of the presence of the Lord. I went away from Moody, went other places, got married, had dreams about being back at Moody, which I thought was really weird. Why would I, a married man with children, dream, have this vivid dream, like a picture in my mind of, of being back at Moody. And when I would tell Lois, she wasn't really excited about that dream. I, 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 I go, I get it, but I just had this weird dream. And later on, they opened a grad school. I didn't have a master's degree. I wanted one. And by the, and making a really awesome, long story, really short, and not nearly as much fun, I got accepted into the grad school at Moody. But I came back for the interim and I would stay in Culberson Hall. 
20-some years later, I sleep, live, sleep in the same room, in the same dorm, in the same kinds of rooms that I was in when I met with God at 18 years old. But I was alone. And I would look at the students' stuff in this room. You'd be staying in the students' room. I think that's some of the same books I read when I was 18. Passages of Scripture on the wall. This is the same passages I memorized when I was 18. There's probably more information than you want, but you went in the stall in the men's room and you'd close the door and there'd be passages of Scripture about moral purity on there. I'm like, some of the same stuff I struggled with when I was 18 and, and 58 and so forth. And, um, and 60. And um, I thought, huh, kids are still meeting with the Lord here. And I'd go back and get in my bed. I thought, well, there's no roommate here. Lois isn't here. It's just me and the Lord. And I'll just talk with him. And guess what happened? Powerful sense of the presence of the Lord. Powerful sense of the presence of the Lord. I won't tell you about him, but there are other places that I go. And I'll preach, and I'll think, oh, God is here. I have a powerful sense of the presence of the Lord. And I go to my little farmhouse. I think about my children. I want them to come there. And I want them to drive away. And I want them to go. I have a sense of the presence of the Lord there. And when I speak at a camp and I have a sense of the presence of the Lord, here's what I think. I'm a pastor of a church. When people go there, do they go away with a powerful sense of the presence of the Lord? I'm a father of children. When my children come and visit, do they drive away with a powerful sense of the presence of the Lord? You know where all that starts? Right here. Do I know God by heart? Do I have a sense of the presence of the Lord in my heart? Because maybe when I do, in the home where I live, when people come, they will go, God is there. Or the church that we, that we share here together, people will say, huh, that's, I have a powerful sense of the presence of the Lord. Heavenly Father, help us. This week, in our temptations, in our troubles, in the people that we meet, in the ordinary, considering your justice, your mercy, your wrath, and your love, to have an overwhelming, cultivate an overwhelming sense of the presence of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.